Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness at Work, at Home, in Life podcast. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? How do you feel happiness? Do you control your own happiness or is somebody else controlling your happiness? Are you living a meaningful and worthwhile life where you experience joy, contentment and positive well-being? Do you feel happiness at work, at home and in life? In this Tribute to Happiness podcast, you will discover what happiness means to people all over the world and how they implement happiness in their life. Here is your host, Hjeden Svenperson, and with him you'll explore these and other interesting topics. Hello and good morning. This is Iceland Calling. I have to start this second episode of Tribute to Happiness by saying thanks to you all out there in the great big world for all the comments and cheering for this podcast. It means a lot. But... On with the podcast. Who should we call this time? Well, we are on our way. Who do we call? Ghostbusters. Hello, hello. hello. Who have we here? It's so good to see you, Adam. It's good to see me, and I can't see you, but uh, I will tell the people around us that who are listening that we can see each other, but they can't see us. Welcome. They're lost. They're lost, <laughs> Sarah. Welcome to the uh, Tribute to Happiness podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, of course, because you are a fantastic woman and can you give uh, the people you live in the united states that's one mm-hmm. thing that's one thing i know the other thing i know that you have heaps of uh, university degrees don't you <laughs> i do yes yes and you live as i say you live somewhere in the united states i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> it's a big it's a big country <laughs> it is So I live near Indianapolis, Indiana, which is sort of the crossroads of America, the center of the Midwest. All right. So you are, are you getting some warmth? Uh, are the sun, sun shining and the heat is? To, today it is sunny and warm. Uh, yes, I don't know the centigrade Celsius uh, conversion, but it's definitely nice enough to be outside for a change. Yes. So that was the thing also here in Iceland because it was very hot. But then again, like hot for us is not the same as hot for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we have, don't you want, I, I think it would be a nice thing if you could uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of, so we know, so the people out there can know why I'm talking to you. Sure. So my name is Sarah Radican, and uh, so I live in Indiana in the middle of America, which is the dumpster fire right now. But my day job is I am a chief happiness officer for a large corporation. So I help people connect to their passion and get them engaged in the work that they do. And then I also have a consulting company where I work with other organizations and individuals in the space of happiness as a tool for wellness, well-being, and resilience. 
something that is certainly uh, very, very important at all times and a hot topic in today's world. And I am pursuing my terminal degree, my doctoral degree in the intersection of happiness and organizational outcomes. This is certainly a passion project for me. So I am so totally talking to the right person in tribute to happiness. <laughs> so you, we, it's no secret. Well, it was a secret, but it's not now because you are a chief happiness officer and I'm a chief happiness officer and we met like the like Kim, who I talked to last week. Uh, we met in Denmark last year at a chief happiness officer's academy. And mm-hmm. we learned some interesting stuff and we talked about happiness at work. And my idea with this podcast was to take happiness at work and add to it happiness at home and then in life. So why should we shouldn't we start with I will give you like you can self like we are going to talk about happiness at work happiness at home and happiness in life in general so you can start with you t- can pick one of those three to start with okay i think let's start with work because it's actually the easiest yeah. uh, although the most uncommon so I, I can't speak for the rest of the world but certainly here in america the concept of happiness and work is a somewhat foreign concept people really don't think that 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 makes sense there's a, a common approach to work that it should be the thing that you do to earn the money to go out and be happy outside of those walls. And as you and I know, we, when we looked at the data, we continue to see the data around that topic. And the truth is, if people are happy, and there are ways to define that, if they're happy at work, they're certainly going to be more productive. And I know Kim did a fabulous job describing some of those measures, right? They're going to be more productive. They're more likely to stay rather than leave for greener pastures somewhere else. You'll be healthier. You'll be more collaborative, more creative just generally more pleasant to be around, which is a huge bonus. (laughs) And organizations certainly benefit from having employees who are excited to be there, not miserable and ground down. So happiness in the workplace, although it feels like a misnomer, is actually, uh, I believe it is a deeply misunderstood and certainly a missed opportunity for organizations who really are looking for ways to improve their performance at the end of the day. But how how is it when you when you talk about uh, your fellow Americans or or the workplaces in America? It's it's like it's a it's a big thing to say that that people in America maybe are like they wake up, they go to job, and they go home, and they like how how do you explain like okay Google they have they are talking about like they they do a lot to keep their employees happy at work. They do stuff to uh, like constantly. Give them mm-hmm. challenges, and and they can sell. They can come with ideas and stuff. So, h- how do you <clears throat> like? You are working in a like you have a day job on the mm-hmm. like where you are chief happiness officer. Like, how how is it for you then to both implement happiness at work and for yourself to stay happy and be like? How can you? S- as yourself, like as Sarah, be happy at work? So I think it's important to 
look at the distinction between individual companies like Google who seem to have figured out the, the power of this of this movement of happiness in the workspace. And they certainly exist. There are organizations that that attract top talent and perform amazingly because they have in some way tapped into this opportunity to make people happy. But they are the outliers. Uh, there are you know, there's only one Google and there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of organizations that are not in that sector. And so what I hear quite a bit when I talk about this, which I do a lot, people say, well, that's just the tech sector or that's that's the art, the art community. They, they're kind of fruity anyway, and they're going to be silly and we're serious business. And that con- that archetype of a successful business person in America typically is more like Steve Jobs, right? Who was about the most unhappy person yeah. on the planet. Successful by some measures, but didn't have a happy ham- family life, did not have strong friend connections that we are aware of, uh, just generally seemed to be a very miserable human. So part of that, I think, comes down to how you identify yourself as a leader, whether you are an, a CEO or an executive, or you're an individual leader from your seat, and how you want to, how you want to put on that, that guise of, of successful. And do you want to, you know, for so often you had to be that person, that hard-charging, decisive, angry person. Um, you know, Alex just did a really great video about Michael Jordan being an asshole. And there's a, a book, right, the No Asshole School. And it's true. Like, that, that has been applauded as a leadership model. And what we've seen is it has created an entire generation of people who are miserable, sick, and not terribly great at their jobs. They, they might get the job done, but they just squeak by. They're not... They're certainly not peak performers. And in today's world, we're not just making widgets, right? We're not just out there manufacturing a thing. We're actually, for many of us, we're in the knowledge economy. And that requires creativity and innovation and the the cognitive freedom to be excited and curious and unhappiness. Well, first of all, it causes tremendous stress, which shuts down our cognitive functions to a great degree. So that right off the top takes away the ability to do those more important um, esoteric thinky think things that we want our people to be doing. But there's also, of course, the health benefits and people, and then you have brain drain. And so if your top talent is hopping every 18 months because they're miserable in your place of employment, have you really done yourself a favor as an organization? So how do I stay happy at work? Well, I mean, it helps that I'm a, I've uh, firmly embraced the concept that happiness is a choice, right? So you can choose, you can choose a large percentage of your experience just by how you approach the world. So one of the things that I do in the workspace, particularly, is I see those obstacles and challenges most of the time as opportunities to have this conversation because where I, in my day job, there I work for a large scientific company. And so science matters. And the, the beauty of this is I have data to back up what I'm talking about. I'm not suggesting we just all go sit around, hold hands, and sing, you know, fluffy songs. I'm saying here are some hard numbers around what happens mm-hmm. in, in our workspaces when we engage these practices. And so that helps. That helps to sort of sell the idea to the people that I work with. And then I just, I mean, I think there's some value in just being willing to do that, that hard work of having those difficult conversations with the naysayers and to bring them along. 
And the results will show, right? I've had some really great success with teams who started out as cranky pants and, and now they're excited and have fun together and they're engaged and they've developed stronger relationships amongst the team members. And along the way, just so happens, they're, they're much more productive and they're much more engaged with their work. Yeah, so so as we ha- as we know, the results in relationships they they get stronger, and and people they start to like care for each other, and and mm-hmm. everybody matters. Like that's a big thing. But are you the person then who goes around and puts little chocolate things on everybody's <laughs> like workspaces and stuff? So and you will get like, oh, did you get a chocolate? Who gave you a chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I am that person. I don't think that's necessary per se, but I have found that to be uh, those, those little fun surprises. I think it shakes people out of their everyday rut, right? So people get into into a habit of going to work. You go to work. You pop open your laptop. You check your email. You do the right. You, you do the how's it going? Eh, I'm here. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And so they get into that sort of rhythm of life and those little surprises shake things up. So I'm personally, I mean, I'm personally just kind of a fun person. I like to have fun. So I like to find those opportunities to not just do the little silly surprises. Uh, One time I actually left little rubber ducks on everybody's desk with little little notes with them and didn't nobody knew who did it they 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 didn't think it was me because i wasn't supposed to be there uh-huh. <laughs> so that was fun <laughs> but also find ways to celebrate right because what happens in companies so often and especially like my industry it's not uncommon to go six eight ten years between big wins and that's a really long time to wait to understand that the work that you're doing has an impact on the outcomes that you're desiring, whether it's your company's financial performance or the mission statement. I mean, that's a, that's too long. You can't go that, that long without hearing something good. So how do you find opportunities, the, the interim milestones in between to celebrate? And they don't even have to be necessarily project related. That's good. You should do that too. But I like to to foster, like you said, those relationships among people by finding reasons to help them celebrate. So, like, we work in a very globally diverse organization, which is awesome because it gives us that much more material to work with. If we were all from Indiana, we would just have, like, sugar pie day, and that would be about it. <laughs> but we're from all over the world, and so we can pull in some of those cultural celebrations and people's personal family things that they do with their with their children or their families. And so because we learn about each other, we know more about the things that make us tick. And understanding people at that deeper level does foster those relationships that drive better performance and a better experience. I don't want to be employee 12374. I want to be Sarah at work and known as whatever it is that I'm known as. Well, I think right now it's the silly person, but <laughs> but I think, you know, to be known as more of the whole person, like, do you have children? Do you have pets? Do you have weird allergies? Like, what do you do for fun? Oh, I like to do that thing for fun too. And all of, all of those things are extra points of connection that A, help us see each other as humans, not job descriptions, which drives all kinds of other benefits, but also helps get the work done better. Because I know, you know, I know that this person has my back and that they are driven for these reasons. And it's, it sounds almost like 
profiling, but it's not, right? It's finding a way to understand people as humans. And and there is no stronger connection than human to human. Well, maybe maybe there is, like chemically. But but from an emotional sense, that human connection is so powerful. Well, you your employees, they are all cats. So that that, <laughs> that that must be a strong connection too. So that like you have a board meeting with a cat. So that like <laughs> But it is also because you 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 have mentioned that your you, your company is like all over the world, so uh, you have to learn each other cultures and and like and as we talked about in Denmark that that the celebration of a small victory or a small thing or like oh I, I don't know what it is like just celebrate and and cheer them on and and take a notice of your fellow. Uh, worker or or a fellow person, so that's that's great. So, how can you do that when you are are spread all over the world? Well, for one thing, you have to take the time to get to know people. You have to actually invest in those relationships. So, one thing that I'm a big fan of are having these one-on-one conversations. I mean, yeah, yes, we we are all over the world. Sometimes we travel to each other's locations, so we have opportunities there, like we did in Copenhagen, right, to to meet face to face. And there's a ton of power in that. I think one of the uh, one of the most powerful learnings of the quarantine that we're all dealing with. So is the intense power of technology to connect people. And you know, I have to laugh because this is where we've we hear we've heard for years, oh, those darn millennials, they're ruining the world. Mm-hmm. But first of all, the millennials and the generations behind them, they've got the technology figured out. So they get to be the leaders in this space. So I have no problem asking my 19-year-old kid to help me figure out how to make zoom work better so i can have a better connection with people oh. or whatever tool it is that we i mean we're using whatsapp right now that's a great way to get to know somebody beyond just a, a, the dry hi i'm sarah this is my email to you there's mm. no tone tone of voice it's very boring you try to put so many pictures into an email you know so use the technology that you have and make those human connections the best way that you can and be intentional about it um I think people expect it to just happen like a fairy tale. Like we will be on a team together and then we will magically become best work buddies. Maybe, maybe you'll get lucky and that will happen, but more likely you have to actually put some energy into that conversation and you have to open up and be vulnerable too, because if I'm, if I'm afraid to be open with my colleagues then why should they trust me with anything about them? Mm. So I think that's a, big step in the direction of creating those stronger relationships too is not being afraid to bring more of yourself to the workplace but of course that does i see the fear right i see the fear for lots of people because they've been marginalized or or punished for something about themselves that's that's just who they are and it's not acceptable in the workplace whatever that is um for example i think we see a lot a big pushback on is ethnic hairstyles, right? Lots of companies actually had dress codes that forbade ethnic hairstyles. I don't, I don't know what that has to do with banking, right? Mm. So I think being aware, being aware of those opportunities to dismantle some of those leftover archaic structures that our companies have just sort of brought along as leftover like barnacles from the past. We need to ditch those concepts and recognize that creating spaces where people can be authentically more of themselves 
maybe a more professional version of themselves. I mean, I certainly put on a slightly more polished face when I'm in a board meeting than when I'm on the river kayaking, but you're still you Mm. at the end of the day. And I think that gets something that's so important, right? We talk about like work-life balance, but that doesn't really work, right? Like you're still you. So you're having your work experience and then you're having your, like, are you not living through that work experience? I spend a ton of hours out of my week at work. And so I'm not, I don't stop being me. And I certainly can't leave all of the things that are part of my experience at the, at the corporate door. So we have to understand that our lives impact all of our, all of the facets of our life and respect that, that that's a thing that people are dealing with. But it, I, when you talk about this, the thing like the kayak and, and, and board meeting, I think about like when you are having your, having your dress on or your suit on and stuff, and then you go home and take the jeans on, then it's the total different Sarah you meet because when you are at home, maybe we could go over to your home. Like, how do you maintain your happiness at home? Because it is, it is all so, like when people they don't know how you are at home, or they don't know are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, like you, uh, it's fascinating that you have a history in the military, don't you? Mm-hmm. So, like, like I do, yes. and 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 if you don't like share that inf- information, then then people they know so little of you. So it's it's just like exactly. and and if you are only the goofy lady in the workplace because like scientists they can't be in an, on another planet when they are working because they are thinking <laughs> so hard so it's just like it's so, so 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 yeah. when you okay like you have it's fantastic to talk about this happiness at the work because you have got, gone very really deep into the discussion so so and you, what you do and what you like to do so what do you do at home how is happiness at home? <laughs> well, I do a lot of research for my school, so I'm still a college student. But I think I think that's where I have really kind of found that that sweet spot because I really am not that different at home or at work. Um, I, I may wear a slightly more professional clothing to the office, marginally more professional clothing. I don't go. I don't wear my kayaking swimming trunks to the office very often. <laughs> but well, I think it, would, still, it would be a good idea. <laughs> it would be a good idea. Maybe for like casual Tuesday. I'll suggest casual <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's, that's so helpful it, because when you have to, you, you do, you let loose a little bit, right? I mean, I'm maybe a little more casual at home. I walk around barefoot, but I still maintain my same perspective on the universe. And so I still believe that it's, that I can choose to be happy. And I also, so I, I have four children, all of whom are legally adults, but two of them still live with us while they go to university and finish out their formative years. And so it's really important to me to be a good role model of the way you can choose to walk through the world. And so I do that for my scientists. I show that I model the behavior of reframing problems and, and looking for opportunities and challenges. And I do the same thing with my kids. And I think that the trick there is my, my kids are going to move out eventually. Well, at least I hope they will. <laughs> my scientists could be with me for the next 30 or 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, my home is better, I think, maybe than my, than my work <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> but I mean, it's really, it's, it's still the, 
I'm still Sarah and my brain is still my brain. And so the truth is that the methodology for finding happiness in life doesn't really change that much. We think it does because of what we think brings happiness. And we talked about this for sure in Denmark. And I, I listened to Dr. Lori Santos talk about this. She's a professor of well-being and happiness at Yale. And I listen to, I read all the books on this topic and people have the wrong idea about what will bring them happiness, right? So people tend to think that it will be these big successful moments in their life. Like I will be happy when I accomplish this thing. I will be happy when I finish university. I will be happy when I get a big promotion. I'll be happy when my kids move out. That one might be true. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But those are actually peak experiences in our life, right? And yes, they are. They can be awesome and they can be filled with tons of positive emotion. Uh, They can be filled with a mixture of positive and negative. I mean, it depends on like stress is still stress, whether it's from a good or a bad place. But the problem is those peak experiences, they're only going to happen every once in a while in our life. You don't win the lottery every day. Hopefully you don't get married or have a baby every day, right? So you have to find those opportunities for for joy and gratitude and positivity, I believe, every chance you get. Because we know that our amygdala, our limbic system in our brain, they're on high alert watching for danger all the time. That's what they do. We've evolved to have those systems in place to keep us safe. And they're really good at it. And there's a lot to be watching for. I mean, even before quarantine and even before the civil unrest that we're dealing with, and certainly other areas have dealt with for a very long time, civil wars and and whatever, there's a lot of horrible stuff in the world to watch out for. And we want to maintain that ability to see those dangers. But if you... If that's all you see, if that's all you're, if you're always on high alert and you're always watching for that stuff, you can like eat a hole in your, in your gut because you're worried and upset and freaked out all the time and carrying that level of cortisol and adrenaline and just general tension is awful. So you have to find ways to balance it out. And that's true whether you're in a work environment or you're in a home environment or you're with your friends or or whatever, you have to train your brain almost to rethink the way it approaches life. So, and that's hard because our society likes likes to teach us that the world is a deep, dark, scary place. So if you buy these shoes, you'll be happier. I mean, that's such garbage, right? Mm-hmm. You don't buy shoes because you're got divorced. That's weird. Um, so we have this weird social narrative around the things that we think should bring us joy. And then they might for a hot second and then life happens and we're back and we have an honest, authentic, emotional response to something difficult, like a divorce or a death or something. And then we feel like failures because we didn't stay happy. Like, you're not going to stay happy. Happy isn't an end goal. It's not the holy grail happily ever after. That's not real. The reality is happiness is an expression of the moment. But how, so you have to see it that way. Yeah, but I, I think when when we are talking about like if we talk about values, like uh, when mm-hmm. when you talked about like my goal is to get promotion and stuff, all the things you mentioned. But when when you said that like you have four kids and you are waiting for the to <laughs> to get out <laughs> mildly, <laughs> like the value and the happiness of like having four kids. Like, where is the value in, in like, like, when do you, where is your sense of value? Is it the work 
environment or are the children your most precious thing like because you only have a limited time with the children because they have to move on you have done your job like i i also have i have twins which are 19 and they like my only and i say to people i'm only have i i only have them on loan because they are preparing for their life and i like i only want them to be happy and i only want them to be like making decisions that brings them happiness but not mm-hmm. because like my father who was a, a of an older generation that like where he just did what was expected of him like we have to teach them to to like what do you feel okay it sounds corny but like they have to feel the stuff they are because it's almost like when my daughter she was going to she was choosing uh, the gymnasium or the high school like and when she pressed enter she lifted the finger up and said, what if i'm choosing the wrong school and it's just like <laughs> then you go to another school it is just like it's not a failure that if you mm-hmm. like because you are always pursuing happiness. So I, I don't, I don't think I don't try to pursue happiness. Honestly, my paradigm on that, and this is where I differ from a lot of the people in this field. A lot of people see happiness as the goal. I don't. I see happiness as the way to measure how what you're doing stacks up, and what you're measuring against, in my experience, is are, they are those values that we all have. Whether they, whether we know it or not, whether we can articulate them or not, and also things like our priorities in life. So then, those should be attached to our values somehow. I think to be to be relevant. And so we look at those things, and it's interesting when I ask people. I, I do this in workshops sometimes. Like, what are your top three values? And they just sit there because they can't put words to it, or or even to me more dangerous. They rattle things off, and it's just so obvious that they've never thought about it. They've been handed this basket of prepackaged values from their family or their faith tradition or or whatever, and they never really thought about it. So it doesn't have any actual meaning to them. There's no personal connection to the words that they're saying. So I think there's tremendous value. So when you ask me about like those values, um, yes, my children are important to me. The value, though, there for me is that by choosing to have children, I took on a huge responsibility for me take to raise these people up to be adults who are kind and thoughtful and intentional and who will go out and do good work in the world. Like that's, that was my goal. It wasn't just to like raise them to be happy. I, I believe if they go grow up and they do these things, whatever those things look like for them, they will find happiness. They, they will, they will pause periodically and say, wow, I feel good about my life. I, I'm happy right now. But I think if we, if we teach them to seek happiness, and, and this is not a criticism because it's a, the best intention in the world is to want the people that you love to be happy. But it's like you're shooting your arrow in the wrong direction because they can't, again, like your daughter, right? She was probably really excited about choosing the gymnasium. And then all of a sudden there was that panic moment. And it's like, like you said, it's not the end of the world. And even if it was, even if it's a one-time shot and you made a mistake, 
there will be other opportunities that will come where you can still find fulfillment and excitement and joy and adventure and wh whatever the things are that resonate in, in you that help you drive towards your not best life, I don't think that such a thing exists, but an excellent life mm. where you're doing the things that matter for you. Yeah, and that, that, I think that is also like, it is just, it's a food for thought because we have to like talk about it and everybody has their ups and downs. There's nobody saying that you have to be smiling all the time because you have bad days, you have like, maybe you're worried about your aunt that in the hospital or, or stuff. So it has like you you hit the nail on everything. So it's it's I, but we have to round, like round things up. Uh, it has been fantastic talking to you because you are like I just had to play, press the play button and you just went on. <laughs> but I I have a challenge for you. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> and that is the uh, because we have to finish on a good note. And that is <laughs> that is the Icelandic word of the episode. Are you ready? Can you say it again? Okay, I'm ready. It's the Icelandic word because, like, when we you you try to learn the the, <laughs> the name of the glacier. I'm not going to say the name of the glacier because everybody should know that, like, already. But I'm going to ask you to say the Icelandic word. Harðfiskur. <laughs> I, I can't even visualize the Icelandic word that you said. <laughs> no. So are, are you giving up? I, I'm, yes, but you're going to have to email it to me so I can practice. Because now I'm yes. curious. What does it mean? It is dried fish. Booyah! <laughs> yes! Because I yes. know you want to eat it. <laughs> I do. I do want to try it. <laughs> so it, it was. Uh, I, I took this word because I knew it was diff more difficult than the <laughs> other thing, the fermented shark word. So I was not going to tell you that either. <laughs> but Sarah, oh, I love it. Thank you. But like, it has been fantastic talking to you. You're a great person. You have a, a like heaps of knowledge and wisdom, and you are just <laughs> a funny person. I I love chatting with you, and I hope that the people out like in the big world will just love this thing and and like it's a food for thought good well it's been a pleasure Heather. it's so good to see you again yes like likewise goodbye bye this has been the tribute to happiness podcast tune in for next week's episode you'll find us on social media